We're going to be looking at 30 through 41. Let me read this again, and then we will get started. Like I told you, we're going to be going through a lot of material today, and like we did last week, and we're at a part of our scripture where we're moving around from place to place, and so it's important that we keep up with that. It's important that we understand that we have to go through this. We have to. So listen to what it says here in Acts 15, 30 through 41. So, the, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But it seemed good to Silas, for Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they, fare, how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. This was Barnabas' nephew. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. If you recall, he left them early on in the first missionary journey after they got into Antioch of Poseidon, after they left the island of Cyprus. 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed having been commanded by the brothers, or commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. May God bless the reading of his word. Last week we covered a lot. Last Sunday morning we went over the Jewish false teachers, the Judaizers, that taught that circumcision was essential for salvation. This was a false doctrine or a false teaching uh, that plagued the New Testament church. We see it all through the book of Galatians. Truth is, according to Scripture, that circumcision is not required to obtain salvation. It just isn't. We looked at last week how circumcision would, would be a, a standard or it would be a, an example, rather, of how there are things of the flesh, the things that we can do in our hands that, that do not better us or obtain salvation at all. Whether it be some type of works or whether it be uh, baptism, whatever it may be. These things do not save us. It is by grace are we saved through faith. This is what the early church taught, and this is what we continue to teach today. We don't move from that. Anything that we can work with our hands is just that. It's filthy rags, is it not? Salvation is to be had in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Our Lord requires obedience by faith in the risen Savior. This is what He wants. He wants a broken and a contrite spirit. This is what He wants. He doesn't want our sacrifices. He is filled up with the blood of bulls and goats. He doesn't want all that. He wants a broken and a contrite spirit. He wants a heart that is impressionable, that is willing, a heart that wants to serve him, a heart that loves him, a heart that wants to be obedient 
to him. The Judaizers were teaching a works-based doctrine, and it was critical that the early church, right here in our text, put a stop to it. And this is what's going to happen. I'm thankful that there were men back in those days, right? Men that would stand up and say, no, this is not true. Instead of letting everything come into the church. You know, there are people that have to stand up and people that have to do this. Even today, our society teaches us that those that do that are bigots. Those that do that are just people that, that don't want to listen, that don't want to, 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 see, to see what's going on in our society. Here we have in our text real men standing up against those that were spreading falsehoods. Paul and, and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas here, they're going to handle this matter rather quickly. They're going to go instantly from Antioch and Syria, and they're going to go south uh, to Jerusalem. And when they get there, they're going to address this with the rest of the men, with the church. They're going to get an answer for it because they need to get back to Antioch and Syria to the Gentiles, and they need to address this because they're waiting on them. At Jerusalem, the council met, as we looked at last Sunday night, and decided that the working of the ceremonial law was not essential for salvation. They came to a consensus, and it was this, that we do not need the ceremonial law anymore. They were instructed to abstain, we looked at this also last Sunday night, from things sacrificed, from blood. Listen to what it says over here in verse 20. But should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. So they had things that they were to abstain from. Verse 30. Let's start. Listen to what it says. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch to the Gentile converts, they came back with good news and with encouraging words. Paul, Barnabas, they leave Jerusalem. They go north to Syria and Antioch. And when they go north, they bring back encouraging words. The church had been waiting on them. And this is where we find ourselves at this morning in our text. Listen to what 31 says. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. I want you to pay attention here. The messengers come back to Antioch. And when they come back, they have a church that had been waiting on them. That is eagerly waiting their return. Why? They were anticipating their return. Why? I'll tell you why. The Gentile converts wanted to do whatever they could do to obey the Lord. They wanted to do whatever they could do to obey the Lord, to be righteous before the Lord. They wanted to be right before Him. We could say that they wanted to please the Lord by obedience. These Gentile converts wanted to do what was right. They wanted to please the Lord. 
Do we have the same mentality? Do we have the same heart today? This love for Jesus that we blindly by faith obey and follow him? Do we? Do we want to follow him? Do you want to see uh, and, and do better? Do better for him? These Jewish or Gentile converts are doing everything that they could do to love the Lord more. The second thing I want you to see is look at their willingness. They were willing to adjust, willing to change, and work their salvation. Nowadays, that is, seems to be far removed from us. So many, in the church especially, um, they were willing to adjust. People are set in their ways, right? Yeah, thought so. People are set in their ways. Not willing to adjust, not pliable. Not impressionable. Set in their ways. They don't want to move for the Lord. Here these Gentile converts were willing to adjust, willing to change and work their salvation. Their hearts were very impressionable. They were lumps of clay in the master's hands. The master potter. Jesus Christ, there were lumps of clay in his hands ready to be worked from the inside out. Letting their guard down. Being vulnerable. Wanting to do better and do more for the Lord. They were ready to listen and ready to receive. Are we this willing? Are we this impressionable? That we would allow the King of Kings to move in such a way in our heart that He would begin to, to mold us and to make us from the inside out. It's called sanctification is what it's called. Yielding and moving, yielding to the Lord and allowing Him to come in and to work in such a way. Being willing to do so. I see a society today that doesn't want to be bothered with serving the King of Kings far from the New Testament Gentile church right here in this text. They wanted to serve the King of Kings. They wanted to do whatever they could do possibly to please Him. Our society today is very, very apathetic. Even the church Serving to pleasing, being willing to move and to change and to serve for the cause of Christ. The New Testament church, not so much. They were ready. They wanted to do so. They wanted to be right on top of it. And so Paul and Barnabas, they go back and these New Testament Gentile new converts, they are chomping at the bits to get it right. When was, you, when was the last time you were excited to get it right with the Lord? Or you just let it go by? You just let it go by? 
Are you truly examining and wanting to get it right? These guys right here had a desire. They had a willingness and they had a, a, an attitude towards getting this thing right. We can see that with them pretty clearly. Listen to what it says. When they had read it, they rejoiced because, because of its encouragement. Listen, to, third, I want you to pay attention to what it says. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. This rejoicing shows thanks, thankfulness. It shows thankfulness. It shows their thankfulness, their heart. They were excited. They were thankful. They were filled with thanksgiving. They were filled with emotion, and that's not a bad thing. Emotion is not a bad thing. The messengers brought good news, and the people rejoiced. Why? Because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do at the hearing of good news, good, good, uh, good, a good message. That's what you're supposed to do. They're supposed to rejoice. Salvation is all of grace. They rejoiced at this. And this is what we're supposed to do. Verse 32, listen to what it says. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Their giftings here were being used, and it was to build up the church. Verse 33. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. 35. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Here, Paul and Barnabas, they stay in Antioch and they're teaching and they're preaching the word of the Lord. They are committed, they are dug in. They're invested. They're applying themselves to serving the Lord and serving the church. Here in 36, Paul says, you know what? We need to go back and we need to check on all those that we've ministered to. This will begin their second, his second missionary journey. We need to go check back up on those that we've already encountered and we need to minister to them. We need to also share the gospel, but we need to check on those that have already came to the faith and make sure that they're doing okay. This is what happens in 36. Listen to it. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. This was his nephew. Wanted to take him with him. Paul says, mm, don't think so. 38. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. John Mark had left after they had got into uh, Antioch and Poseidon. He had went back and Paul says, no, I don't think it's a good idea. So you're going to leave him back. Barnabas didn't like this. He did not like this. Paul says no, Barnabas says yes. And here we have a very, very sharp disagreement. You ever had a sharp disagreement? Mm -hmm. 
Come on, guys. Are you with me this morning? You ever had a sharp disagreement between husband and wife? Any sharp disagreement? Look at y'all smiling. Some of y'all acting like it ain't never happened. I have. Sharp disagreements. What about people in the church? You ever had a sharp disagreement? Dickie has. Anybody else? Come on. Anybody else? No. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Sharp disagreement between two Christian brothers. Here we see a great divide that's taking place. A great divide. This is not necessarily a good thing. We're going to see how the Lord works that out for good, but I want us to pay attention to it for just a moment as we look at this because too often as Christians, we have a tendency to be like thermometers. Thermometers. What does a thermometer do, David? It measures the temperature, doesn't it? It instantly rises when the temperature rises. And too often, this is what we do. Now, I've said all of this to get to this passage of Scripture right here because I want us to see that there are times in the church, times in the home, where there are very, very big arguments. Very great divides. And we have to be able to work through those. The sharp disagreement between two Christian brothers. Verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. I want us to think about this. These were two men that had spent years ministering together. Two men that probably could finish each other's sentences. They had spent that much time together. Preaching and teaching. They knew the words that that each other often said. Like repeatedly. They, They knew the all the different ways that they moved. These men were, they knew each other. They knew how they would respond, how they would react. They were friends. More than that, they were Christian brothers. But here, in our text, division has made its way into the New Testament church. And of all people, It's between the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Two men that it should have been far removed from. Two men that it should never have been said, you know, they just really can't stand each other. Did you hear about that disagreement they had? Man, it was bad. It was so bad that they split. And and it's true. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, they were not agreed and they split. Division had made its way into the church. This is a bad place. This is a bad thing. They had done mighty works together. They had done these miracles together. They had preached together. They had taught together. But now they are separating. And I want us to take serious note to this, that if it can happen to Paul, and if it can happen to Barnabas, it can happen to us 2,000 years later in the confines of this small assembly. And so we need to take every effort, every opportunity to not let that happen. You would think that if there were two people that this wouldn't be said about, it would be these two, but no. 
It was. The Lord puts this in his word so that we may be able to learn from it and not do it ourselves. He puts us in his word so we could see the importance of reconciliation. And I'm like what somebody said uh, not too long ago that they didn't, they didn't like confrontation. I don't. It's hard. It's not fun. But it's necessary. Right or wrong. It's necessary. We must do it. We must do everything that we can to live at peace with one another. Everything that's within us. So the Lord puts this in his word so that we may learn and make right any offense that comes against us. Second, I want you to see this. This example should be used. This example should not be used to justify disagreements. Let me explain. Well, the Apostle Paul did it with Barnabas. Right? We shouldn't use this example just because it's in Scripture to say, well, that gives us a reason to separate from this one or to separate from that one. No, there are things that Paul and Barnabas could have done better here in this position. We need to understand that. It says that there was a sharp disagreement, which means they didn't handle it right. Everybody following me when I say that? They did not handle this right. So it should not be used to justify our disagreements or separations in the church. Understand this, that a sharp disagreement, I didn't say a disagreement, but a sharp disagreement should not be within the local church. Even though it is so often. It should not be among the brethren. We should be able to work out all things if we communicate and if we talk. It's the same in marriage. Communication is key. We understand that we have different personalities in the home. Well, guess what? We do too in the church. And if in the church we understand that it's going to be very difficult to come together and to work these things out. But here in our text... We see that they left them. We shouldn't do that. Shouldn't be among the brethren. Third thing I want you to see about this is that we should do all we can to live at peace with each other. And this, is, this, one, this one really is hard. I was talking about some church members one time <laughs> to another minister. I was asking for advice. He read this verse to me. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. He said, Matthew, when do you stop doing that? I said, you got me. Truth is, is we don't. We continue to do whatever we can do to live at peace with all men. And this is very difficult to do. Too often we don't want to submit. We don't want to drop the pride to lose the act. We don't want to, for people to think that this one is better or that one is better. We want to always be right and never be wrong. 
In the church at times we do have to compromise. We do have to do whatever we can do to live at peace with all men. We know that this is easier said than done, but we are to practice this in our salvation. No getting around it. We must practice this just as you must practice it in marriage. Casey and I take great pains to to talk things out and to work things out. (laughs) And my kids are like, yeah, y'all do it loudly. (laughs) But understand this, we still do it. We still do it. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort to work a marriage to work spending time with one another. We have to communicate. And here in this text, you see that one stone walls and the other one stone walls, and then they separate. And that is not to be in the home, and that's not to be in the church. Paul says no. Barnabas gets offended. And they separate. They could have worked this out. I truly believe that. Fourth, it's all in the tone, isn't it? It's all in the tone and the body language and the response. Casey will tell me sometimes that I'm yelling when I'm just merely talking. I mean, if she wants to hear me yell, I can yell. I tell her she speaks volumes and multitudes with me without saying a word with her body. Right or wrong? Deborah's like, yeah, that's right, that's right. My daughter Anna, she can communicate with me and she never opens her mouth. Her eyes say it all. She sits back there and all she'll do is move her eyes. I'm like, oh, I know you just didn't say that to me. And she's not said a word. Right, Anna? That's right, that's right. Sailor does too, and all of my kids. But one thing that we have to understand is that the way that we move and the way that we respond, our tone and the way that we handle things has big, big consequences on a lot of of important things. Here in this text, Paul and Barnabas, they just didn't handle it right. They handled it like a bunch of thermometers. They let their passions go through the roof. And there was a sharp disagreement, so much so that this relationship was busted up and it was broken. It's the same in the home. The way that we communicate with each other, the way that we move through the house speaks a lot. The way that we shuffle our feet or stomp our feet, the way that we sway back and forth, the way that we look at someone, the way that we speak, the way that we answer, speaks multitude and it speaks volumes whether we agree or disagree with somebody, whether we want their presence in their company or not. We have to take all of this into consideration. It's all in the tone, it's all in the body language, it's all in the response. Paul and Barnabas did not respond well. We talk about this a lot in our home. 
because it's critical for the home to move forward, for the marriage to move forward, for the relationship between father and children and mother and children to move forward. We have to take into consideration how we respond to each other. How we are treating those that are in the same room with us. Paul and Barnabas didn't do that. They split. These two men could have agreed to disagree and moved on. But they didn't. The way that they handled it, I don't see it to be Christ-like. But for us to think that we've never handled something in this manner is crazy. How many? Everybody in here would raise their hand. Even though you're not. I know that you would secretly. I can be like this and I know that you can too. It's letting our feelings, it's letting our emotions get the best of us. It's not controlling the tongue. Or the body language, which is controlling the tongue. We would do our best by controlling our own spirit. I've learned that from a man here in the church that I look up to, that has been a, a, like a mentor to me, and I have seen that. how they control their own spirit, and it has encouraged me to do the same thing, even though I fell at it almost daily. We would do well to control our own spirit. We would do well to temper our passions that to raise up inside of us so that we can look more like Christ. It's called being a thermostat, not a thermometer. That's what it's called. Being a thermostat. We need to be thermostats. Adjusting to the hot outside, bringing in something that's cool, that levels everything out, thereby bringing in peace. Or adjusting to the cold outside, bringing in warmth to a situation. In an otherwise cold situation. Being able to adjust quickly. We need to do that. And here, Paul and Barnabas, don't, they don't do it. And the fifth and final thing that I want you to see about this disagreement is you say, how could the Lord use this for His good? How? Well, let's look at it. Here we have the Lord working all things out for His glory. He took a bad situation of two men separating and he brought glory to himself by it. Listen to what it says in 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Remember this was Barnabas' hometown. He sailed away to the island of Cyprus and he went back there to minister to them, to evangelize and continue to press on in the work of the Lord. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. 
Barnabas went to his own town. Now here, Paul is going to his own town. Instead of getting back on a boat and going back through the, to the ocean, here he is going to go north. He's going to go to Tarsus. He's going to go around and he's going to go back to, to where he left off from last time, Derby and Lystra. And he's going to minister all the way through. And you say, well, how did the Lord make this good? Well, he took two very, very powerful men that were doing the Lord's work and he separated them. So now that work could be doubled. They weren't just to themselves anymore. They weren't going from place to place together, but now they were separated. And, and now they're going back. I mean, right off the top of my head, I see where they went to Cyprus. And they didn't do this when they came back on the first missionary journey. So Cyprus needed to be tended to. And Barnabas says, you know what? I'm going to Cyprus. So he went to Cyprus. Paul and Silas, they go north to Tarsus and then on around to Lystra and to Derby and to Iconium. They all go all the way around. And so the word of the Lord and the work of the Lord is being spread here exponentially. These two men now are on a quest and on a mission to go and to preach the gospel and to take their message further. To cover more ground. And they couldn't have done this if they were together. So the Lord truly did work this out for His glory. And for his good. They both went to their hometowns and, and ministered in those places, having great success, continuing to move on, continuing to encourage, continuing to preach the gospel, continuing to bring clarity to the Gentiles that needed it. They needed everything that they could get. And so these men continued to do that. And here in verse 41, Paul goes through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so we're kind of in a middle, middle part here in our text. We're going to get into some more some narratives here later on. Uh, as, we, as we move on through this passage and get into chapter 16, we're going to get into some narratives. But as they're moving around, we have, to, we have to try to keep up with them, and that's not always easy. Understand this morning that when we look at this text, we see something very clearly. We see the Gentiles and they were ready to serve the Lord. They were ready to change, ready to do whatever they had to do to serve Him by faith. And at the end of this text we see also two men that had a sharp disagreement. That could have been worked out more than likely. And it shows us that we're to do everything that we can within our own power to not only control ourselves, but also to live at peace with those that are around us. We see Jesus doing that. Paul and Barnabas make a mistake here. And I promise this, that if there's any place that it can happen, it's in the church and in the home. There are things that I've said before that, and it's like firing a gun, you can't get the bullet back. There's things that I've said before that I wish a thousand times I wouldn't have said them. But once you say them, they're already out. And the damage is done. 
This is what happened with Paul and Barnabas. And we need to do whatever we can to not let that happen between us and even in our homes. Amen? It causes problems, causes confusion, causes a lot of headache. And we know that the Lord doesn't want that. He just doesn't. Do whatever we can to, to be like thermostats instead of thermometers. Adjusting to the heat, adjusting to the cold that's around us. Doing everything we can to be like Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we're grateful for your word.